Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by Pharmac. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler, and today I'm talking to Dr. Rick Cutfield about diabetes management in the older or frail adult. Rick is the Clinical Director of Endocrinology and Diabetes at White Matter DHB and works privately at Mercy Specialist Group in Epsom. He is actively involved in teaching, clinical research and all aspects of diabetes, endocrinology and general medicine. Welcome Rick. Great pleasure to be here. So today we're going to discuss a case which will highlight some management issues. Mrs F is an 84 year old female who has had type 2 diabetes for many years with excellent control. Her HbA1c is 49 millimoles per minute. She lives alone and she says she's got no problems. She eats three meals a day and walks. Her examination reveals a slim woman with a BMI of 19, no neuropathy. She has a blood pressure of 120 on 78 with no postural drop. Her visual acuity is excellent, six over six on the right and six over nine on the left. However, you notice she pushes up with both hands to get out of the chair and is slow to move from the examination bed. You notice bruising on her knees and her upper thigh, also on her arm, and she admits to just a couple of falls when going to the toilet. Her medication list includes an ACE inhibitor, a statin, glipizide 10 mg BD, metformin 850 mg BD, and also isophane insulin 12 units at bedtime. She has an LDL cholesterol of 1.9 and an EGFR of 38 mLs per minute with urine microalbumin of 42 millimoles per litre. So Rick, she sort of sounds like the model patient, but tell us what your concerns are in this patient and generally in terms of elderly patients with their diabetes. Yes, she does sound, she does sound rather perfect, doesn't she? But there are big concerns uh, in, this, in this woman. She's 84 and she lives alone, uh, so that's one issue that concerns us, uh, particularly with respect to hypos, and we'll get to that in a second. She's pretty light, BMI of 19, with clearly some proximal weakness and sarcopenia possibly starting with that hint of recent falls. So some physical decline there and possibly a little cognitive decline just by the by the nature of the way she's responded to the to the falls question in a slightly perhaps defensive way and perhaps not remembering when she has fallen. Uh, and, and above all, she has an HbA1c uh, of 49. And I think that's the clue. And the, and the good teaching point from, from this case is that an HbA1c uh, under 55 in an elderly person, particularly on insulin, uh, should uh, raise a sort of a big warning sign in front of you saying, is this person having hypos? And we'll come to this in a bit more detail. The, 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 from the management point of view, the things that concern me greatly are the fact that she's on both glipizide, which can cause hypoglycemia, and don't forget it causes hypoglycemia, particularly at night in older patients, and particularly in patients with a reduced renal function. As well as that, she's on isophane, and for those who don't know what isophane means, it's a generic incident, but essentially it means either humulin N, which is the lily product, or protophane, which is the, the one you'd be familiar with from Novo Nordisk. So both of those insulins have a peak action after about four or six hours. And if she's having it at night, that's hitting her in the middle of the night. 
I bet you she's having nocturnal hypos, and I bet you that's causing confusion for her, and I bet you she's stumbling a little bit at night, perhaps recovering a little in the morning. Great, thank you, Rick. So you mentioned uh, treatment goals perhaps need to change in the elderly. So let's talk about this for a minute. What should we be aiming for? So I, I'm, I'm less concerned about the HbA1c in an elderly person. person. In fact, it may not be 100% accurate, um, some recent research is suggesting, but if you're an 78-year-old person, an HbA1c of, of 50 to 60 might be reasonable, particularly if the patient's just on metformin or metformin in one of the newer oral agents that doesn't cause hypos. But increasingly, as the patient uh, reaches 80 and beyond and has these beginnings of declines, particularly renal function, then an HbA1c target becomes less relevant. And if you had to choose something, I'd be pretty comfortable with anything under 70. And I say that that's the HbA1c because after 70, 75, you're starting to worry a little bit about hyper-high glucose symptoms. And so when you're looking at targets, you look at the HbA1c, but you try and look at the individual self-monitored glucose levels when you can. And if you're getting an HbA1c that's above 90, then you need to start to think about, is the person really having some hyperglycemic symptoms? And you might say, well, what are they? What sort of things should I be asking about, about high glucoses? And you'll say, well, gosh, I, I know there's polyuria and nocturia, and there's fairly frequent in elderly patients anyway. So a, a longer duration of urination can, you, you might say, tiredness and lethargy and increase infections, all things that sort of occur a bit more frequently in elderly anyway. So it can be pretty subtle. But I think if you're getting increased urine infections or you're getting delays in healing the wounds and if you're getting tiredness that you're not sure about and things and the HbA1c is high, then I think... You, you can drop that target a little bit and try and intensify, but be very careful because in general, it's, it's not going to make a, a major difference to micro or macrovascular complications, which is kind of why we're trying to get the HbA1c down. At that age, it doesn't matter. It's quality of life and it's symptom control. And above all, it's avoidance of hypoglycemia, which is the key thing. So in this age group, Rick, what medications do we need to be wary of and why do we need to be wary of them? Well, for all sorts of, re I mean, I think there's the, you know, when you assess your patient and you've got um, issues with renal function and cognition and um, adherence issues because of these things, uh, you want a simple, safe program as, as best you can. Um, I think we all like metformin. We all know metformin. It's a pretty safe agent. Um, it has been associated with B12 deficiency by absorption issues. Um, it's Look, in reality, I think it's rather unusual, but it, it prompts you to check a B12, which you probably would be doing occasionally anyway, particularly if nutrition's dropping off a bit. So metformin's pretty safe, and I think for this particular patient that we're talking about, you'd wonder whether it was doing any good because her BMI is 19 and it's an insulin sensitizing agent, so it may not be doing an awful lot. But assuming she's controlled and it did the job, I tend to keep people on metformin in low dose, but beware of 
um, the issue of, of uh, renal function. Now, metformin doesn't, in fact, it probably improves renal function slightly, but its, its main issue is that it can build up in um, renal dysfunction and increase the risk of lactic acidosis, which is extremely uncommon, really uncommon. So I think people take people off metformin a bit too early. So one of my rules, and supported by MedSafe, I think, recently, is that you can use metformin um, in low dose, even down to an EGFR of about 25. But around that 25 to 30 mark, I would only use one tablet a day. Um, and then under 40, I'd be looking at sort of a dose of 500 milligrams twice a day, maybe 1,500 milligrams a day maximum. So really start to wind the metformin down, but it's a pretty safe agent, especially if it's taken with food. And if your patient's got diarrhea all of a sudden, then obviously think about it, but um, see, see if you can continue to use it. The, the new drug on the block, which I think GPs are really starting to use a bit more, is vildagliptin, which is a DPP-4 inhibitor. So it only works when you eat, which is rather neat. It releases insulin only when the patient eats, which is perfect for an elderly patient. And I've, um, I, I really support the use of this drug in the elderly if you need a second oral agent. I think it's safe, it's well tolerated, it can be used in renal impairment, um, and it's quite a nice agent, and it will not cause hypoglycemia. So I quite like that being continued uh, if you've started it already, and if you don't use it, I think it's a quite a nice agent. For glipizide and glipizide, and by the way, nobody should use Dayanil or globinclamide anymore, but glipizide is, is actually not too bad, but it's my concerns are overnight. So I tend to use it a bit more during the day, and start to wind down the evening dose because of the nocturnal hypoglycemia issue as renal function deteriorates a bit. So I like all of those agents, but I'm very cautious and I would look at really cutting them down and withdrawing them if, if I can uh, as the person gets a bit older. In terms of other agents, I think there's a new drug for the wealthy elderly person of whom we don't see that many, but still, uh, called Forsega, which is new, and it may get funded in the next year. It also doesn't cause hypos, but it has a diuretic action, which we have to be a little bit cautious of in the elderly. Um, so that's another agent we might use. And then the insulins that we've touched on already, um, we've used um, protophanes and humulinens, the so-called isophane insulins. I tend to, in the elderly, use them in the morning rather than at night because of the risk of nocturnal hypos and some, with some self-monitored glucose levels. So I, I switch them around so that they're mainly given in the morning. And Lantus, which is, may I say, well uh, used and possibly well sold in general practice, um, is a drug I'm a cautious of in elderly patients, and it's because it has that long half-life. So I tend to, again, give it in the morning, but if the person had any hint of hypos at night, I'd be very cautious about either reducing the dose or changing it to a slightly shorter-acting uh, insulin like one of the isophones. But um, it's probably having a good effect on reducing hypos in general because of its flatter action. But again, I have this little um, concern about it in the very elderly. Can you withdraw insulin? Um, well, certainly in type 1 you can't. And type 1 is 
a different kind of a beast, but you will see elderly patients who are now surviving their 30, 40, 50 years with type 1 doing really well. And be cautious of, of those sort of patients because they get so wedded to their early education, the need for tight control, and they carry that through to their older years and they're very reluctant to loosen their control. And it's a real art in general practice and in, in my specialty to try and uh, persuade them to, to, to loosen up their HbA1c a little bit. Um, so we do reduce the insulin and we're particularly concerned about, again, nocturnal hypos, but also the amount of rapid acting insulin they take with food because their carbohydrate intake can drop off and be uh, quite different. They often have a, a big lunch, for instance, and very little dinner, so we have to sort of move things around. So I'm, I'm also very conscious of that. And for type 1s, we do need testing still, unfortunately, for, for elderly fingers, but um, it's something that we still need to, to look at, and possibly even more than in younger people in some cases. So those are my general comments on the, on the medications. We've talked quite a lot about hypos in the elderly. So what things do you specifically ask about and look for in your elderly patients to detect those episodes? Yes, it's really tricky, isn't it? If they're living alone, it's really hard. If they're living with someone, uh, often the person next door, if they're in, a, in, a, in the same room, could, might be able to detect a little bit of movement in the night, a little bit of rustling and, and so forth. Um, the other clues are, are sort of uh, uh, sweats at night, um, so damp sheets in the morning, uh, nightmares, uh, morning headache uh, can occur as a, as a result of a nocturnal uh, hypo. Um, confusion, obviously, um, and sometimes TIAs can occur in elderly patients. Um, hypos can initiate angina even, so I think anything that you're concerned about a change uh, could prompt that hypoglycemia could have caused this, that, that thought. And so keep that in mind. Um, I, I, I think elderly people, if they're getting up for a wee in the night, uh, occasionally I ask them, would you mind stumbling across to your blood sugar and turning the light on and testing it just to see what's happening? Um, so it is tricky, actually, in the night. In the day, it's easier because they can test um, and if they're on metformin and vildagliptin, they shouldn't need it. So that's the good news about it. So it's really for patients on sulfonylureas and with them, where you're worried about nutrition changes or you're worried about renal function, that I think an occasional set of tests is, is useful. But we see patients in the hospital, and you'll see them in general practice all the time with episodes of confusion, query TIA, um, whatever, and uh, maybe even uh, maybe even precipitating a stumble or a fall. So that, that's definitely all those are sort of red, red warning signs. Signs, absolutely. Mm. Talking now about exercise and nutrition in the elderly patient, how often should we be reviewing this and what sort of things should we be asking about? Yeah, I, I, I'm a great believer in, in sort of doing a, a two-minute meal check you know, just say, what are you eating, Mrs. J? You know, what, what, tell me what you ate for breakfast, if they can remember, of course, um, or get somebody who, who knows them well, who can tell them. So a brief review of breakfast, lunch and dinner, just making sure there's enough protein in there for muscles and preventing sarcopenia and also enough carbohydrate to cover their um, their um, hypoglycemia if need be. But certainly, um, how often would I do that? Probably annually. 
In terms of uh, other annual checks in the elderly that I wouldn't normally do on somebody else, uh, I do a sort of a rough cognitive check and, and again, a physical check. So I might do a, a, a wee MMSE or some sort of modified on the day kind of check of, of memory or literacy or numeracy. Um, show me your meter. Show me how you test. Tell me just exactly what you do. I might do a little um, stepping and walk test, you know, the, the gait speed they can do sometimes. You can watch them as they go into the car park or get somebody to do that. Simple thing I find is grip strength, actually, um, which is quite a handy thing. It's hard to quantify, but I think if, if you can get a fair, fair idea. But I, I, I actually think this is the art of medicine. You know, I think there are lots and lots of tests, but this is where I think algorithms and you know, lots and lots of questionnaires don't always cover what we think, uh, what we hear from a good history from family members and just eyeballing those little pin-like legs <laughs> under the table. And we know what's going on. That This is a frail elderly patient. And so, so I do think nutrition review is important. And you can get dietitians to see uh, patients, um, but um, I, I think probably in the very elderly. Um, there's no need to do that most of the time. In terms of exercise, I, you know, like everybody, I think we try and promote safe walking if we can. Pilates and Tai Chi are always good for balance and things um, and whatever patients can do. But I think once they start sitting, going from bed to chair to telly, back to kitchen for a cup of tea to chair, I think, you know, that sort of, uh, that starts to worry us a little bit about, um, you know, decline coming on. So I do think it, I think it's a regular thing to check. Um, exercise we can accept will not be huge, but um, nutrition becomes increasingly important to assess. And in addition to all of those things, I think there are the things that all of our um, elderly patients need to be sort of thinking about, which are alarms uh, for falls and concerns and fear and so forth and increasingly socialization is important retirement villages are great for this elderly people living alone with diabetes it's always a concern so i think you know we all believe socialization is important and it's it's good for their for everyone's well-being i think and 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 to stem any cognitive decline perhaps so socialization is important and there are lots and lots of community um um, activities to be involved in and community groups and elderly groups and so forth. Um, and for those who have cognitive decline, there seems to be lots of support out there. It's just reaching it, I think. But most of you, most of you in general practice are much better at sort of uh, linking up or getting, getting the appropriate um, communication for those um, services. So I think all of that's uh, really part of the, the deal. I think in summary, I think the key, the key things are setting really important, realistic targets that HbA1c is much less important, a higher HbA1c, avoidance of hypoglycemia, keeping medications simple and safe, and keeping your patients moving and eating as best you can. Um, I think self-monitoring is tricky as people get old, but it becomes important for people in sulfonylureas and, uh, and insulin. And... Um, if you can um, avoid sulfonylureas, if it's possible, I think in terms of insulin, uh, if they're type 1, you don't have a choice. They have to stay on it. But again, keeping the, the dosages down and the regimens simple, um, and they may need to be supervised. And for type 2s on insulin, as they're uh, losing weight, 
a nice simple program, perhaps moving more to morning uh, type uh, insulin programs rather than evening. Perfect. Well, you've sort of answered my next question, which was going back to Mrs. F. What would we do with her? So we're going to cut out a few things by the look of it. Yeah, exactly. When I look back at her, if she was my patient, and I'm sure you're all thinking exactly the same way, you can't do much about her renal function, EGFR of 38. So I think we'd be looking at cutting the metformin back to suit that EGFR. My feeling would be 500 BD would be fine. Uh, I hardly ever give it or never give it once a day, and I never give it three times a day. So, uh, So 500 BD for that. The glipizide, Again, I'm very nervous about, so I would be looking potentially at either halving it to start with 5 BD rather than 10 milligrams BD, or just using a morning dose and stopping the evening dose. Uh, And in terms of isoflane insulin, 10 or 12 units, gee, you'd wonder whether she needed any at all, any at all. And again, I'd be thinking about uh, reducing that dose. And you don't have to do everything all at one time, but I would you know, bring her back even every, every month or so and see if we can get some tests for her. She's stumbling, isn't she? She's mm. falling, the poor thing. So she's starting to be a bit of a concern. So we need to talk to her family and, and start to get uh, a little bit of exercise sorted out. Does she need some walking aids? Uh, how's her vision, etc. And I would be looking at a cognitive test on her and some sort of physical test. Um, in terms of a statin, we haven't discussed No, that, that, that was my next that, question. That's another day. Well, you could ask, you know, we could just ask everyone, would you want your 84-year-old with nothing much going on at all on a statin at this age group with a BMI of 19 and some proximal weakness? I'd be wondering what I'm doing, to be honest. Um, Some some might say, gee, it's it's a preventative agent, but there's not a lot of evidence base for its use in sort of 85 and beyond, I don't think. So I would be looking at simplifying things myself. And the ACE inhibitor, well, she has microalbuminuria, but it's a tiny amount and it's not of concern. Um, it's more a marker of endothelial dysfunction than, than, than diabetic n- nephropathy. So you could use it. It's controlling her blood pressure. She doesn't have postural hypotension. According to the uh, according to this examination, but I'd be looking at it again and seeing if we still need it. Um, a blood pressure for an 84-year-old, if you could keep it under 150, you'd be pretty comfortable. So it just um, just one thing at a time. But certainly, there's a bit of polypharmacy here that I'm sure we could help. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, early on, Rick, we were talking about the B12 and periodic monitoring. monitoring. Mm-hmm. How often would you monitor the B12? Oh, I don't think I'd do it more than annually as part of my annual screen, I think, uh, on everybody with metformin, but elderly, you know, once every few years to see what's going on. I think I think especially as, uh, as, as, as meat, um, you know, content is, is reducing, it's probably a pretty sensible thing to keep a, a little eye on. Um, whether B12 replacement makes a massive difference uh, in these borderline cases, I'm, I'm not so certain. But it certainly is a simple agent to give, isn't it? And it's a very um, easy thing and safe and so forth. So it seems reasonable to keep a B12 level over 160 at least. So um, I think we can do that. Excellent. So Rick, every now and again, we need to send somebody in to see you who we're concerned about and we're not comfortable with managing. 
which people would you like to see? Which elderly people are important for you to see? I think it's a really good question. I, I, I think um, it's hard to get old people into hospital clinics. I do feel sorry for them. And I think in the modern era, we'll be doing more phone calls and Skype calls and, 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 um, and, and, um, and virtual consults. So I think that's already in place now with the e-referral system that we can answer things back. But if the, the patients that I like to continue to see are on my type 1 patients because I think that they've been wedded to of the clinic and particularly sometimes just one particular specialist or a diabetes nurse for years. They have confidence and, and so forth. And I think, you know, an annual visit is important. And um, insulins are changing and I think insulin dosage changes sometimes um, it comes e easier to specialists. So I think what I would be doing is my type 1s I'd be referring my type 2s who are having hypoglycemia um, that you can't easily see or fix, I think they definitely do. Anyone you're considering um, starting on insulin, for instance, if you're feeling uncomfortable in an elderly patient, because this is not easy. I, I mean, I really think one of the great challenges now is the d dementing patient with insulin um, at home. They are a real problem. Mm -hmm. And it's all I'm seeing more and more being transferred to rest home. So that's a biggest issue for the family, the wider family and the patient. And I think if uh, that sometimes needs a referral to, to support, you know, in general practice in that regard. And then, of course, the usual things like painful neuropathy that you're worried about. Um, and, um, and, uh, but it's, it's mainly, um, uh, mainly those things, the type 1s, the type 2s you're particularly concerned about with uh, either insulin, high sugars or very low sugars. And to conclude our podcast today, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners? Well, I think the take-home message is setting an appropriate target and not being too obsessed with HbA1c in the elderly patient. Um, an annual review of cognitive and nutritive decline um, and seeing exactly what's happening, and including a, a review of vision and, and, and EGFR and, um, and, and um, adherence to medication. And the key, I guess, is uh, prevention of hypoglycemia, which can it can be a, a, a terrible thing for older patients and precipitate heart attacks and, and strokes. So I think those would be our real key messages today. Thank you, Rick. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, please go to our website, goodfellowunit.org, and fill in the Reflection of Learning form. Thank you for listening. <laughs>